all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I say no contract, you say no code. No contract, no If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, and my co-host and fellow agitator is Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Last Week in Southern Labor is back. A win for veterans and VA workers, the most recent move to privatize and end services at the VA is dead, while local talkers try to revive privatization of public schools. Kim Kelly and Isaiah Thomas joined to talk about Convention Month in June and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the program, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text anytime, 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week. And if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere. You can find anything online. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, newly on TikTok, wherever you find your podcasts, all at The Valley Labor Report. Uh, Just a reminder, your support keeps us on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. It really does make a difference. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation or buy our new hat, you can go to our website, tvlr.fm, or become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Uh, just want to mention the folks behind the scenes that make the show possible. We really appreciate uh, everybody that help, helps us on the program. Joe Harrison does all of our graphics uh, and video editing for YouTube and TikTok. Uh, Mike Bailey has been doing our audio editing for our radio affiliates and for our podcast. Ben Job helps us out here at Spice Radio with some technical difficulties. Uh, last minute, Jeff Michaels helps us stay on the radio in WVNN in Athens. We appreciate everybody for making the show possible. And let's just go into the first segment. And we'll hit last week in Southern Labor since it's been such a long time since we've been able to do this. Uh, Our weekly segment on what happened in the labor movement in the South uh, in the last week has been put on uh, something of of a hiatus because the originator of the information, Jonah Furman, he put his newsletter on a short hiatus um, while he was planning for the Labor Notes convention because he's a staffer at Labor Notes. But the convention is over, and the newsletter is back. For this iteration, he pulled all of the strikes from the last month, which is how long it's been on hiatus, all the filings from the last week, and filings in the last month at workplaces over 100 workers 
plus all the Starbucks filings, okay? Does that make sense? Let's just jump right into it then. In new organizing, pretty slim, pretty slim on the new organizing as far as, uh, you know, like we're missing everything uh, that happened in the last month in workplaces that are under 100, um, minus a Starbucks. But So the Starbucks is the only thing that, that we're seeing in the South. Um, and that is 869 workers at 35 stores in 16 states filed for elections, several of those in the South. Uh, and, and so moving right on to union wins and losses, 937 Starbucks workers at 33 stores joined Workers United and in the same period, only seven stores voted against. Again, many of those in the South, including right here in Alabama, in Birmingham. 111 workers who run McDonald's food supply chain for Martin Brower in Garner, North Carolina, voted 32 to 60 against joining Teamsters Local 391. And two unions in South Carolina are fighting over 70 guards with the Federal Protective Service, plus 33 guards at a former nuclear site in Aiken, South Carolina, are joining the International Guards Union of America Local 159. Uh, There was a little bit more news in strikes and bargaining. First up, 115 thousand railroad workers just inched closer to what would be a massive strike, though it does remain unlikely since the Railway Labor Act allows for the convening of a presidential emergency board in case of high-impact labor disputes. The Railway Labor Act is a separate carve-out of labor law that private sector rail workers and and airplane workers are under instead of the NLRA. And it is a lot more convoluted and workers have a lot less freedom under the Railway Labor Act than they do under the NLRA, uh, which is an issue. At least one of the unions involved, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers, which is an affiliate of the Teamsters, is taking a strike vote, though, even if it is just pro forma at this point. 14,000 United Airline pilots with the Airline Pilots Association, ALPA, have a tentative agreement that would provide a 14% raise over two years. That's pretty impressive. The machinists have a deal at Alaska Airlines that would raise wages from 16 to 25 percent through 2025, which is about two and a half years, for 5,000 customer service and ramp workers. Very impressive. In the past month, Starbucks Workers United members struck in Anderson, South Carolina. Very cool. And workers at a Sherwin-Williams paint factory in Bowling Green, Kentucky, have been on strike since the beginning of the month with Teamsters Local 783. Even before the strike officially began, the company cut the workers' benefits. This is the second strike at the company this year with 55 members of Steelworkers Local 14919 at the company's aerosol plant in Bedford Heights, Ohio, having struck for over two months from February to April. A hundred CWA call center workers for federal contractor Maximus in Hattiesburg, Mississippi and Bogalusa, Louisiana, held a two-day strike as they continue to wage a long campaign against the company's union-busting and poverty wages. 
And finally, in internal union po- politics, Liz Schuler is the uncontested president of the AFL-CIO now, and the UAW raised its strike pay to $400 per week, which is the same thing that the UAW reform group, UAWD, has been calling for and coincidentally, is the same thing that the UMWA has been paying its strikers in Alabama for the last year. So good on the UM, the UAW, the United Auto Workers, for meeting the, uh, for, for meeting the requests, the, the demands of UAWD, Unite All Workers for Democracy, the Reform Caucus, and the UAW. And, uh, I mean, we should we should just we should note and and say how good it is and how kind of ahead of the curve the United Mine Workers of America are on strike pay. Uh, they have the highest strike pay of any union in the country that I'm aware of. The uh, BCTGM union, uh, which was the union representing Nabisco and Kellogg strikers, their strike pay was something like seventy five or one hundred fifty dollars a week, where the UAW had been. For decades at $275 a week, and the UMWA has been paying $400 a week. So, you know, obviously $400 a week, $1,600 a month is not a lot. You know, it's not nearly what they were making, but it, it, it does make it a lot easier to, makes it a lot easier to get by Absolutely. Uh, than having half or a third of that (laughs) so yeah and this is a good time to remind folks uh you should know what your union has for a strike fund and how much of your dues goes to the strike fund Mm -hmm. and you know how sustainable it would be should you ever have to go on strike yeah it's one of the first things you should really dig into when you look at your union's budget um, and I did want to mention one story that did not make it into Jonah's newsletter, but I think was important, which is that more than 1,200 Delta airline pilots and staff picketed at seven major airports on Thursday, calling for higher pay and a contract. Uh, and some of those airports did include those in the south, which would be Atlanta, uh, biggest airport down here in the southern region. So solidarity with the Delta airline pilots. That's fantastic, and it uh, it is also you know worth re- reiterating and, and affirming what you said about the strike fund because the strike funds you know the the only reason that there has been there has been a lot of outside support for the UMWA for the miners that are on strike they've received over two million dollars in donations from other unions uh, from seventy five thousand dollars of which was from our fundraising stream last year. Um, and from other unions, just from from regular working folks across the country, chipping in five dollars, ten dollars um, over the course of the strike. But um, when you've got a strike of a thousand people, what is two million dollars? That is two thousand dollars per person. So you can see how, over the course of a year and a half, a year. That is insufficient. The UMWA has spent twenty over $22 million on the strike. Uh, and it is only possible to spend that much money on a strike because the miners in Alabama and miners across the country and Canada for decades have been putting through their dues $5, 10 every week. 
tens of thousands of miners for decades have been doing this to where they have a strike fund that can handle this kind of expenditure. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons that the BCTGM strike payout is so low, because their strike fund is not nearly what the strike fund of the UMWA and the UAW has is. So... You know, it, it's it, it's definitely important to keep in mind, and it, and important to plan for. It's important to plan long term for these types of of battles. So, um, so we have uh, uh, the next subject. We've talked about the right to privatize or the fight to privatize public schools in Alabama several times on the show. We do this to provide a response to the propaganda that you're going to hear on stations like WVNN and Huntsville and conservative stations across the state because they're going to paint you this like rosy picture, right? And we aim to cut through the noise and and provide you with the reality. And I hope critical and conscious listeners will evaluate our arguments and our support of our arguments with the arguments of our opponents on these issues. Because I think if you look at them as a neutral, independent observer, you're going to see that our arguments are better. Um, we are similar in that we do present and we have an ideological and philosophical argument for public education. Okay, We have this predisposition towards the public good, towards the collective good, towards community that we have on this program as unionists you know this is and and we're not shy about it right okay so we, this is a bias that we have and and we present it and we present the arguments for why a collective vision of public education is better than a private individualistic consumer oriented um consumer oriented argument for or for private education why it's better to have a collective public education. So we do that, and I hope that we do that more coherently than, than you know, the argument for private edu- education. But the biggest difference is that we do actually provide you supporting evidence for our position being better. They will say competition, privatization is going to improve schools. They'll say that like it's a tautology, like it is true, just at, just facially. That it is that it is true, and you don't have to do any further investigation. You don't. They don't feel any need to back this up. And we have repeatedly on the program shown that in fact competition and privatization has been tried. It's been tried all over the country. It's been tried all over the country in states all over all over the country, and it has not improved public schools, which is which is a, a pretty easy you know thing to. To grok. It's a pretty easy thing to understand that, okay, you know, maybe privatizing, taking money away from public from the public education system isn't gonna isn't gonna help public schools. But in addition to that, it does not even help the people who make use of these vouchers. And so what and, and we've shown you that. We've we've looked at studies and we've given you the data. And there is never they will they'll ta- they'll throw out these things when they happen. <clears throat> And just last week, Yaffe was talking about how Arizona passed a huge uh, privatization bill that is is probably the broadest in the country. <clears throat> and, and he's going to tout that, and he did tout that and saying, this is so great, this is so great. Here's a question. Why is it that they don't go back and look at the states that do have currently the broadest privatization 
of education and show you the results. It's because it's not good. They never, I have never once on conservative talk radio, which I listen to far too much of for my well-being. <laughs> yeah. And I've, and I've never. Somebody has to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. And I've never once heard them do a deep dive into states that have privatized their education system and said, look at these results. Look at how good education is for everybody in this state because of the things that they've done. They do not do that because it doesn't work. And Jacob, I'll go a step farther and say, as someone who's been in education in some capacity for the last decade, I can't remember any of these uh, privatizers or so-called school reformers ever doing that in other settings beyond conservative talk radio, whether it's right. right. Even in the more like academic settings where, you know, these are supposed to be the real professionals as opposed, as opposed to like blowhards on, you know, on the radio. Right. (laughs) You don't don't hear it anywhere. The, the evidence that they have is pretty few and far between. I mean, the only thing that even comes to mind is the occasional, uh, handpicked charter school that they can Mm. find in New York or somewhere up North or out West. Uh, that they will point to as a model of success. But never can I remember any of these type of folks actually demonstrating that their legislation has been successful by any metric in any other state or district. Yep. It has been tried, and it does not improve schools, at least on the metrics that most folks care about. You know, does the kid learn math, science? Can they read? Can they write? Are they res- are they a responsible citizen? Are they respectful of others? Are they being fed are they and being transported? Fed? Yeah. On these metrics, privatization of public schools does not it does not benefit the community. Um, and I and I'm sure we're going to return to that argument another day, and and I'm sure that we will multiple times in the future. But here's a different one for us to chew on. Schools ought to be centers of indoctrination for my particular religious beliefs. And they ought to be private schools. Now, here's here. I think here is actually where we get to the rub, because I, I, I think, generally speaking, the reason that we don't hear about how math and science and reading scores improve when you privatize public education is because they don't. But they don't particularly care about that. They want everybody to think like them and they want schools to churn out people that think like them. And and so. Let's play this clip from our friend Yaffe. Barr says the U.S. public school system is the biggest attack on the Western world. It is the biggest threat to the entire Western world. He said because in the school system, they use this belief that's against Christianity and they push it on our kids. He said, America's unique self-government system cannot exist without traditional religion. Now, this is an argument that aligned with what former President John Adams said when he said, quote, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. A lot of the divides we see in our country right now comes from the spiritual vacuum that has been created by government that has pushed Christianity completely out of the public square. And now they're pushing their own leftist religion on 
our kids. That's what's going on. Now, this is this is incredibly funny to me. The, the victim mentality that, that some Christians have, that just because you can't indoctrinate somebody else's kids with whatever your particular religious beliefs are, that, Christ, quote, Christianity is being pushed out of the public square, unquote. Like, give me a break. Like... You can be like, no, literally nobody is stopping you from being Christian. You, you weirdo. Never witnessed it. Never. And, and I have set foot in, you know, well into the triple digits in terms of public schools that I have entered into, that I've worked in, that I have, uh, you know, had conversations with workers in. I have never witnessed that. I have witnessed Christianity being pushed onto students and staff and communities uh, through the platform of public schools. Hmm. That absolutely does still happen. Um, and I'm happy to give examples of that if need be, but uh, <laughs> yes, that certainly happens. I have never witnessed Christianity being push, pushed out of the public square or pushed out of public schools, nor have I witnessed any sort of uh, you know, leftist religion that is being pushed onto kids unless treating each other with dignity and respect is just a bridge too far for folks like him. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that, that's going to kind of track with, with uh, some of what his argument is. Let's hear the next clip. Now, during his speech Saturday, William Barr said that ground zero for such attacks on religious liberty occurs in the public school system by adopting a curriculum incompatible with traditional religious principles or mandating in some states LGBTQ plus lesson plans without parental consent of the child. Hmm. Now, here's here's an interesting term that we've got. We've got this term LGBT lesson plans. <laughs> now, I want. I'm sorry, that's hard to. That's now let's hard to take let's let's just. I mean, let's just think about this kind of. What is what does this mean? Because I mean, let's let's just benefit of the doubt. Let's say if. In crazy, kooky California, we've got lesson plans that force you to be gay. You know, which would which would be the equivalent of instilling Christian values or whatever on the other end, right? Which is what which is what Yaffe explicitly wants to do. He wants to instill Christian values um, as uh, like as Christian values. Not you know, I want to instill Christian values, being that. Be good to people. Be nice to your neighbor. Blah 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 blah. But without saying, but no, he he doesn't want to just do that. He wants to install instill them as Christian values, which is objectionable because we shouldn't be allowed to indoctrinate other people's kids. So so this would be the equivalent, right? If we're talking about LGBT lesson plans as a leftist religion, then the equivalent to Christian in indoctrination would be LGBT lesson plans that make you gay, that like force you to be gay, that say being gay is the preferable way to exist. And that if you are not gay, uh, then then you're bad and you're going to hell and your parents are bad. And 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 and, and so kiss your neighbor that only if they're the same sex, because, you know, the Christian lesson plan would make you pray. Right. So so this is this is kind of, you know. So I, I will just say for the record, for the record, and, you know, like, look, Yaffe, if there's something out there, if you're listening to this and, and if you're aware of one of these lesson plans, let send it to me. 
and we can lock arms, you, me and Yaffe, and I will say the left has gone too far. The left is out of control, and we should not make children kiss people that they don't want to kiss, and we should not make them uncomfortable in their sexuality if they're straight. If there's a war on straight people in California schools, then then I'll be on the front lines, baby. I'm very straight. <laughs> By all means, provide some evidence. Um, but on the other hand, on the other hand, if these lessons plan, if these lesson plans are just, you know, look, hey kids, sometimes boys like boys, sometimes girls like girls. That's what it means to be gay. You should be good to gay people. You should respect them, and uh, you know, they're real. They exist. Don't bully them. If uh, uh, if that is the extent of the lessons plans, which I which I think it is, I, I'm pretty sure that's that's all it is. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure that's all these lesson plans are. It's just like, hey, this is a thing. This is a phenomena that exists in the world. Respect these people. If that is something that he's talking about, then that should be in every school. That should be. We should have had that at my school because, like, gay kids. We're really bullied at my school. I was, I mean, I wasn't really bullied, quote unquote. You know, I, 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 my, my friend group was robust enough that to the extent people made fun of me, I didn't care. But like, I got called the F slur a few times and I'm not even gay. Which is, so I think our school, my school could have, uh, uh, could have done with some of this LGBT lesson plans. But Adam, I want to lean on your experience again as a teacher. Are there lesson plans in Alabama that are uh, turning the kids gay? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> and uh, speaking as a teacher, would if anyone is aware of a lesson plan so powerful, <laughs> so effective, that it can transform a young person to such a degree, please share your s- secrets. Because educators for millennia have been trying to figure out how to get kids to pay attention uh, and how to take na- notes in class, how to achieve. And like, I've never encountered a lesson just so damn powerful. It can transform your own sexuality within a 52-minute period. That's uh, If such yeah, a thing a exists, point. please, by all means, enlighten us. Uh, but Jacob, you're right. Your assumption about what these lesson plans are, you know, again, I don't know specifically what he's referring to, but I'm very familiar with, you know, teaching tolerance. I'm very familiar with no place for hate, things like that, initiatives like that, resources like that. And yes, the lesson plans are more or less to say there are different types of people. Here are those different types of people. That's okay. It's okay that we're different. That's what makes that's what makes our society and our country an interesting place because we are different. Uh, and the important thing is that we treat each other with dignity and respect. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Hmm. Uh, I'm not yeah. aware of, of anything that would, uh, you know, that should be offensive along those lines. Interesting. If if, if instilling values of dignity and respect into your children. If you find that to be offensive, the problem is with you, not the lesson. Yep, yep, yep. So let's just let's just let him finish out this argument, and he's going to provide his solution here to this to this problem oh, of I leftist re- religion in schools. So William Barr is right. 
We have to bring religion back, I believe, Christianity back. At least if you are a Christian, you should be able to instill those values on your own children. We can at least say that, right? And have an ability to educate your children based on those values. So this is where school choice comes in. The only solution to this, because you have the leftist religion being pushed on our kids in the culture, but especially in public schools, how do you escape from that? The only way to escape from that is to get out of the public schools and go to a private school. But because our system is so screwed up, private schools are very, very expensive. And our tax dollars are just pushed into public schools, except when you have school choice options. All right, so there we go. That is, that's the argument. Now, it's a confused argument, but it's an argument nonetheless. So first he says, we got to bring religion back, which is, which is really the thing, right? That's really the thing, is he, he can't stand, I mean, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe he just doesn't mean what he says. But, but based on this argument, we can assume that he cannot stand living in a world where people believe differently than him. Uh, so he wants to indoctrinate other people's children. And, and you know, it's funny that he's using religious liberty to justify this um, because I was actually at a union convention facilitating a panel the other day where somebody said something about religion, um, you know, making them uncomfortable and things like this in, in union meetings and stuff. And, and, and my advice was basically, you know, look, we're all adults. No harm, no foul. As long as the songs about... You know, as long as the songs, the hymns that they're singing aren't about like, you know, God damn the sinner and, you know, uh, I I hate people that <laughs> aren't Christian. You know, as long as it's just kind of general, like, Lord help us, uh, you know, give us unity, whatever. As long as it's, kind, you know, just a general thing, then, like, let's be respectful of each other and, and, and we're adults. And, and, and you know, the, the dynamic there is a lot different than being in school, right? Because you're not an authority figure. You're, you're elected official in your union isn't an authority figure in the same way that your teacher is, right? So as since we're all adults, we've all got our own ideas. Generally speaking, you know, like let's just let's just live and let live and if they want to sing a hymn, that's fine. That was my and because and I'm not like a religious person. You know, I'm not yeah, but 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 that's fine, and I think. And, it, and the flip side to it is, if you are in a <clears throat> position position of leadership or you're conducting a meeting, be sensitive to the fact that exactly. not everyone is going to, going to agree with you. Not everyone's going to belong to a particular religion, and in fact, you may have some people in your meeting that have been harmed by right uh, institutional religion. And so, again, yeah, like yeah. you said, just be adults, be sensitive to each other's needs and differences, and and be respectful. Yeah, shouldn't be that hard. But that's not Yaffe's position. Yaffe's position is is he wants to indoctrinate your children to believe the same thing that he does. Uh, then he does kind of backpedal a little bit, maybe realizing how kind of tyrannical the argument is that he's making, uh, which is we should at least be able to instill Christian values in our own children. And yes, you can. You can. Nobody, literally nobody is stopping you, even in the craziest, most liberal country or, or most liberal state in the country. Nobody's stopping you from going to church, from taking your kids to church, from reading the Bible to them. You can do it every day. You You can can do do it all the time. All the time. You can homeschool them. Now, unfortunately, there are social consequences to people being raised in such a way. uh, But you have the right to do that. You got the right to do that. Yeah. So, 
before and he does that before finally landing on basically the first one, which is that he wants public dollars. He wants money taken from the public education system to go to private schools, including religious schools. He wants atheists and Muslims and Catholics with their taxes to pay for, you know, whatever the hell Baptist private school that he wants to send his kids to. That's that's what he wants. And that's not that's not what we want. And so this is this is the you know, uh, it, it's kind of difficult, you know, in, in, in the in the you know, the argument about do they make schools better with respect to math, science and reading. There are kind of qualitative and quantitative things that we can point to that say, look, our, the way that we're the thing that we're advocating is objectively better. Right. But in this, it is kind of difficult because, uh, you know, it's, it, and, and so more or less, what all I'm doing is kind of clarifying. I, I just want to put the, I, I just want to put out there, this is what the right wants. And this is actually really consistent with the entire private school movement mm-hmm. because the, the, the entire movement to privatize schools actually began during Integration, <laughs> because right. they wanted segregation academies. They wanted to create schools where you could exclude the blacks, where you could exclude black people, and you could teach white people that it's okay to exclude black people and that they're inferior. And they wanted the tax dollars of black folk to pay for that. And so here we're just in a different iteration. We now they now they're they're. You know, more or less. I mean, I think there's still some of that, but more or less, we're, we've got to a place where, okay, the theocrats are fine with, you know, interracial mixing and whatever. Al- although they, you know, there's still a lot of segregation in these private schools and and in the way that school districts are are, are you know, divvied up. But it, it's at least not as explicit. But now the explicit thing is, we want to take our kids out of public schools so we can teach them. That uh, uh, we can teach them our Christian values, our Christian values about how it is bad to be gay and uh, and and that you should, you know, not be okay with gay people. You should not support them. We don't want it taught to our children to respect gay people. And we want the tax dollars of gay people to go towards that right. education. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the historical part of it because you're exactly right. Private school edu- private schools and the broader school privatization, private school voucher movement has always been intertwined with segregation. And it's segregation not just by race but by religion, uh, by ability uh, because – Surprise, surprise, these schools tend to not be so keen on students with disabilities uh, Mm -hmm. and aren't too eager to provide the expensive accommodations that public schools provide. And, of course, segregation by class. Mm -hmm. You know, these have always been intertwined with this mission to break the public school system. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's funny that he's really proud of this line, keep your leftist religion out of my face and I'll keep the Bible out of yours, because that's like explicitly not what he's doing. It's, not only is it not what he's doing, again, he wants you what, to pay is, for it. what is the leftist religion? Right. Um, there is no coherent explanation of what that concept is. As someone who is a leftist, I couldn't tell you what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, and not only was Yaffe happy with this uh, uh, silly line of reasoning, so was Scott Buttram of the Trustville Tribune, uh, which is very funny. Um, I guess these people are easily impressed. 
And that's, I mean, I, they can't, there's no other way to explain it. Um, so we're going to go ahead and, well, oh, and, and before, let, let's read a couple things from the chat because there's there's some good some good uh, contributions to this conversation here um let's see jared mentioned that they have churches in their homes to teach their religion what is wrong with these people they literally have the most powerful cultural institutions in most folks in most folks lives outside of urban centers which is the church and of course like why why is it not sufficient for you to teach your children about your religion in uh, in your churches and at home, why do you have to have my tax dollars funding your religion? It's insane. It's 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 Looney Tunes. Um, so yeah, that turns out uh, it's harder to instill this ideology in children when they spend you know seven eight hours a day with a diverse group of people from mm. a diverse group of backgrounds. We're going to go ahead and go to a break. On the other side, we're going to be playing our interview with Isaiah Thomas from the Bessemer Amazon facility and Kim Kelly, freelance labor reporter and author of the new book, Fight Like Hell. We will be right back. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you, too, can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. 
If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. It's that time of year again, Christmas in July. Monday, July 25th at 305 8th Street. Christmas in December is when we receive the gifts that we wish for. Christmas in July at 305 is a time to address residents' needs. Clothing, socks, underwear, bedding, and more. <laughs> or maybe just a treat or two thrown in for fun. To add to the fun, individually wrap each item. A needs list for each resident will be provided. Email CYDNEY at 305 8 Call 256-777-9642. Come all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call or text the show at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Our interview with Isaiah Thomas from the Bessemer Amazon facility and Kim Kelly freelance labor reporter and author of the new book, Fight Like Hell, The Untold History of American Labor. I've got with me now uh, Kim Kelly, Adam Keller, and Isaiah Thomas. Uh, And we are going to be talking about uh, labor notes and the AFL-CIO convention. Isaiah and Kim both went to the AFL-CIO convention. Adam and I did not, so they're going to be talking to us about that. And and all of us went to labor notes, which uh, Kim dubbed labor prom and which, if that's labor prom, then, you know, I, I imagine there's a lot of, like, anti-monarchy tendencies. But if, you know, if such a thing existed, then maybe, uh, you know, we didn't hold a vote, but I, w- I would imagine she would be labor prom queen. That would, uh... <laughs> so, I don't know, maybe since we're, like, all anti-monarchy, maybe labor prom president or labor prom general secretary. I don't she yeah, chief delegate of labor chief prom. Chief delegate. <laughs> 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 not sure what they Trying to be correct. politically correct here on the Valley Labor Report. That's that's <laughs> chairman, Chair, chairwoman, chairwoman, General Kim Kelly of Labor Prom. Yes. Um, so yes. you know, um, <laughs> Isaiah, uh, you. This is actually going to. This is your first time on the program, which is bonkers because we're in Alabama and we've had Kim on the show now a, few, a couple of times at least. So so Isaiah, tell us uh, what's up with. What's up with you? Um, uh, what do you do? 
for the audience. I mean, obviously I know, but, but for the audience. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I work at the Amazon facility in Bessemer, Alabama. I am a member of the organizing committee trying to help build our union affiliated with the RWDSU. And you've been doing a great job, been giving a lot of speeches, uh, so that that it's been really cool seeing you up there uh, at the AFL-CIO convention. That was was pretty neat. And um, and everybody knows Kim. She's got a book out, Fight Like Hell, that you can buy at Red Emma's or Worker-Owned Bookstore or Powell's. And if you buy it through the unions, it's a unionized bookstore, if you buy it through the union's affiliate link, 7 Point five percent of that purchase goes directly to their strike fund. So, very cool thing that uh, they've got over there at Powell's. Um, so, let's just start off then with with the common ground, which is labor notes. I'm interested in in y'all's experience of the conference because there 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 were over 250 workshops, and so each of us were going to different things. So, uh, Kim, I'll start with you. What was what was your experience of labor notes like? <laughs> it was a little chaotic. Um, it was certainly more stressful than I had anticipated. Mm-hmm. And that was nothing to do with labor notes. Um, I just happened to have um, <laughs> planned to sell some books there, you know, sell my labor book to the labor people at the labor conference. And some wires got crossed. I spent more time than was really reasonable running around trying to find the damn things. But um, the, I did make it to a few panels, a few workshops. I led a workshop with uh, Wu Zhang from the News Guild. We did a, a workshop called Messaging for Your Power, which was really fun. We talked about how to basically craft a, a message, a story about your campaign and how to get it out there to the public and to the press, which we both had a little bit of experience with. And I really loved going to your panel, Jacob, on Organizing the South. I snuck in there at the end and seeing the people really fired up and had a lot of questions and also comments, which we love to see. (laughs) There are a ton of things I really wished I could have made it to. Um, I really was hoping to catch one of the panels that the Strippers United folks were on. Always wanted to see some Amazon and Starbucks workers. And also there's one that Alex Press was leading uh, about logistics, like talking to, or no, I think she was, hers was on ending two tier, which we need to do. But there's another one she spoke about uh, when I saw her about logistics, about UPS, about potential contracts and strikes floating around in the future, I thought it was really interesting. So, yeah, it was kind of a little, little bit of a chaotic mess personally during Labor Notes, but there are a lot of really incredible things mm-hmm. that I wish I would have had more now, time Isaiah, to Isaiah, what about you? Out. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, first off, I spoke on two panels, and um, it was mainly about, you know, organizing at Amazon, the challenges that we faced and uh, getting more people on board. But in terms of meeting people, it was invigorating. I mean, I have so many phone numbers, it's ridiculous to bounce ideas and strategies amongst one another. So how we can fight back and then to provide my experience that I've faced and went through at Amazon, hopefully to help somebody else in another Amazon facility across the country. And it's been the fact that I felt like Mm. it was somewhere where I belonged. Like it really felt like I wasn't alienated or this was like, oh, this is not Kansas anymore. Mm -hmm. It really felt like I was at home. Everybody shared the same energy. Everybody wanted to bring about a real fundamental change here in the United States, not just at the workplaces, but just everywhere in general. And 
for me, I'm bringing that energy back to my workplace here at Amazon to energize my that, folks with who I work with. Oh, yeah. No, go ahead. I'm just going to say, I think like Isaiah is so right. The the vibes were immaculate. Like everyone was so excited and enthusiastic and fired up. And there's so many people meeting friends that they knew from organizing from the Internet for the first time or people whose campaigns they'd admired or donated to or strikes they'd supported. Seeing each other, you know, person to person, face to face, being able to have a drink or seven, you know, that was this is a really beautiful bonding experience, especially because I think so many people, people in general, but especially people concerned with the, the business of making the world a little bit better. Mm. We've been really isolated for years. We've really been kind of atomized and alienated yeah. and forcing, you know, and staring down the Sisyphean task and just getting everyone together for labor prom, labor Coachella, whatever you want to call it. Like that, I feel like that gave people something to take home that was even even more intangible than a than a phone number or a flyer, it it really just made people feel like oh I'm not alone I have friends I have comrades, and there's a lot of us like seeing four thousand people who feel the same way you do is a really like I've only experienced that of like giant European metal festivals so this is a really beautiful yeah thing for I me that was a uh, I, I was on uh, the Working People podcast they did a bonus episode and I was on it with uh, McKinnis. Schuler and uh, Mike Guy Tavita Utafa and um, that was definitely a, a common theme was that we felt more at home at Labor Notes than any other convention that we've ever been to really you know I, I haven't been going to a convention just a terribly long time but I definitely felt more like these are my people you know than I have at any of the other conventions that I've been to and right. I wonder you know Kim, why why you think it is that this is a place where you've got un, you know labor militants, people dedicated to the union that that feel more at home here than maybe even their own union conference, their their own you know national union convention or something like that. I think you almost answered your own question in the phrasing, right? Because there's this baseline of militancy that is not something that you experience in every other labor gathering, right? Whether it's your union hall, your union meeting, other specific conventions or conferences, this was a place where everyone was ready to throw down. You know, no one was trying to vote away our problems necessarily. Everyone was willing to get a little spicy or get a little weird, get creative. There's so much less of that kind of ingrained uh, old guardism sort of Union bureaucracy, what, however you want to phrase that. And this, this is a very multi-generational uh, conference, too. There are folks of every possible age you can think of. Some people brought their kids and their elders there that were just as radical as I could ever hope to be. It wasn't an age thing or a demographic thing. It was just people who are committed to working class liberation on a scale and with an intensity that I think is not always seen in other labor right. contexts, because this was a self-selecting group. You had to register, you had to get there. It's sold out. <laughs> Imagine finding like a ticket scalper for labor notes, but I'm just but um, all that to say, it was really interesting specifically because I spent all month going to union conventions. I was at the AFL-CIO convention. I'm sure we'll chat about it in a second. And I started out my month at the UNWA, United Mine Workers of America Conference in Las Vegas, which was a whole other kettle of fish. 
And as much as I felt at home in certain ways in all this context, labor notes, I was like, oh, here's all my homies. Yeah, well, what <laughs> was the for it? Talk to us a little bit about the UMWA convention, and then and then you can go. We'll go into the uh, the AFL CIO convention because I'm interested in, in talking to you and Isaiah about what happened there. Since since I wasn't able to go, and you know, since I wasn't able to go, maybe speaks to a bit of you know the <laughs> like some of, some of the issues perhaps with the National Federation. But uh, but yeah, w- talk to us about the UMWA convention, and then we can go into the AFL. Yeah, the NWA, they are a fascinating union, as I learned over the past year and change. And I love that they picked Las Vegas for the convention because those old boys. Bryn Riley was there, right? (laughs) So it was. was, (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And with his neon blue swim trunks and his daiquiri is a menace. And maybe the best way? I'm not even sure. He He was fun. He threatened to fight someone at a California pizza kitchen. It was a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) It was definitely an adventure. But, um, like, socially. Brent is a dude. But um, it it was really cool. Yeah, there's a big delegation of folks from Alabama. A lot of the women from the auxiliary were there, and they brought their husbands as plus ones, which I thought. (laughs) My husbands did not like that as much. Um, and it, it was an interesting mix because it was a much older crowd. I think I was probably one of the youngest people there, and I'm 34. But there were people that were militant and were very progressive and had been part of these really incredible moments in labor history, these strikes, these campaigns. And then there were folks who were also there who were a little bit more uh, uninterested in progress or uninterested in more in broader intersectional fights who were kind of just focused on the things that they were interested in and everyone else, well, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. I think we have those in every union, right? Every movement. But one thing that really stuck with me that I thought was kind of worth mentioning that maybe people would not necessarily expect from the mine workers was how progressive and inclusive so many of the speakers sought to be like in their speeches, whether it was, you know, President Cecil Roberts or Sarah Nelson speaking. Um, There's a preacher. I I can't remember his name. There's a preacher and union leader from Buffalo, New York, who came out and spoke very movingly. It was, it was very clear that at the very least the messaging coming through was like, we need to be inclusive. We need to be looking to the future. We need to be looking to organize workers in other industries too. Like the words renewable energy were uttered on that stage. And I thought that was significant. You know, it's, it's interesting kind of swimming into a world like that, that has literal centuries of history and so many complicated allegiances and political nuances. But I felt at home there, too, because people there really love the union and they really are trying to fight for something better for themselves and their people at the very least. And a lot of those folks had a much broader interpretation of who their people were than someone might expect from looking at them. Yeah, I think, think, you know, judging a book by its cover is something that's going to get that'll get folks in a lot of trouble, especially, you know, in in the Alabama labor movement. You know, you got a lot of folks that are uh, that that have been in it for a long time that are just as committed to, uh, you know, to anything that you or I would be as as anybody else. Um, But they sound even more Southern than me. (laughs) So. (laughs) Um, and, and so why do you think it, why do you think it is that that we've got that, um, that, 
that folks have that idea of, of the miners that that maybe that maybe doesn't match with you know what they want to try to uh, put out there. Well, I think so much of it comes down to coal, right? Coal's complicated, and we know that the world's on fire. And there's a dwindling number of coal miners in this country. And the ones that are left are facing, you know, an unprecedented black lung crisis. They're dealing with all kinds of workplace issues, whether it's safety or pay or benefits. The Warren Met coal miners are still on strike. It's this month 15. They're having a rough time. But I think something that I've learned, especially over the past year and change of covering their strike, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't think about coal miners. A lot of people don't think about coal miners. Like the United Mine Workers, I think... I don't know the exact percentages, but they're a very retiree-heavy union. And, you know, a lot of their focus when they're not on strike is fighting for the older folks who have put in their time, who need their pensions and their benefits, and specifically their black lung benefits, because that's a huge issue. But they also want to grow. They also want to organize new people. Some of my favorite people in the organization who are maybe a little bit older than us, but not Mm -hmm. old, like early 40s, they are raring to go to organize. They are all about being diverse and bringing in as many people as possible. I was texting with one of them, uh, Chuck Nissel, who's the VP of, I think, District 2. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going down to a couple Starbucks this weekend to go visit, show some mm-hmm. solidarity. Like, yes, that's exactly what we need. Hell yeah, mine workers. It's not just <laughs> maybe the, the idea. I don't know what the world thinks of the UMWA or coal miners anymore because mm-hmm. half the time no one's paying attention at all. Mm-hmm. And the other half the time Republican politicians are using them as some kind of photo op right. while totally neglecting to take care of them. So it's kind of this forgotten population with this really incredible history who's still here and wants to push into the future and wants to be part of this movement forward. They just have, you know, some unique challenges. Well, they have at the to beginning of the strike, around. I actually remember talking to Larry about a campaign that they had up in our neck of the woods in Huntsville. Um, that, that's not a, a it was like an auto parts shop or something. Um, I think the strike kind of got them distracted and, and I haven't heard anything about it since. But there's definitely an interest. from, And, and I think there was some interest in like windmill orga- organizing from the UMWA, stuff like that. Um I'm not sure if maybe it's just because of the acronym, you know, maybe just switch the W and the M around and you could. Right? So, uh, Isaiah, I think the first the AFL convention was was probably the first convention that you've ever been to. Right. Yes. Uh, wow. It was my first time ever leaving the South in general. <laughs> yes. Really? Hell yeah. Yeah. And it was my first time on a plane. So that. Yeah. <laughs> I went there and at first I was like, I don't know why I'm going to Philadelphia. Literally, I was like asking myself that question. I was like, why am I on a plane heading to Philadelphia? And I was told it was for an AFL-CIO convention. And at first I was just like asking all these questions, like what is the convention for? And then I found out it's because Liz Schuler was running to be reelected unopposed and then I found out that I had a speaking opportunity with my coworkers from Amazon and the lead organizer who helped us mm-hmm. is currently helping us, Adam, form our union here at Amazon. And we gave this badass speech that was really energizing and reinvigorating. And we got a standing ovation 
And after that, we met all of these workers from around the country, casino workers from Las Vegas. We even met some mine workers here, actually from Alabama. Uh, we met folks from the uh, United Airline workers with Sarah Nelson. We actually spoke with Sarah Nelson and she gave us some cards to give out mm. to um, flight attendants. And on my flight back, I mean, that's what me and my coworkers did. We did whatever we could to actually speak with those flight attendants and gave out all of the cards that she gave us. But my, my analysis of the convention, especially with what I found out later, because I was reading an article and they said that the goal was to organize a million workers mm -hmm. in over 10 years. But that's nowhere near enough, in my opinion. I, I believe it has to be like millions upon millions of workers because there are 300 plus million people here in the United States. A million workers over 10 right. years. Well, is a million over 10 years would be continued decline as it relates to, you know, the union density rate. And yeah. um, Connor Lewis, um, he, he has a sub stack and, and he he did. He just put out an article today about how, in in in, cert, in a certain sense, this this is actually a really um, a really lofty goal because it's not been done before. We literally haven't gained union members in decades, you know. So, in a certain in a certain sense, unfortunately, slower decline is. Uh, better than we've been doing, but um, <laughs> uh, but it's it's still like that hurts a little bit, you know. <laughs> um, and and so, what was your you know the how did it feel comparing and contrasting to labor notes uh, after you know because basically you went right from the AFL convention to labor notes. Yes. Uh, after leaving from the AFL-CIO convention, I had one day of rest here at, Al at Alabama and I went to Chicago for labor notes. And at labor notes, it was more militant, as we said before, like people actually wanted to get out there and mm -hmm. organize literally everything. Uh, there was no like, well, let's have like a 10 year or a five year or 15 year plan of organizing this amount of workers. It, it was more so people were asking questions in terms of like the establishment of their unions. People were asking questions about how can we be more active? How is it that we can challenge on the political level as well as the workplace? Because it doesn't stop just at our workplace. We have to go beyond the workplace. And at the AFL-CIO convention, you can tell it was more of hmm. the establishment type, if that makes sense. It's people were wearing suits, you know, and they're elected officials. They are elected officials. Um, they're elected from, you know, the memberships of their union. And it's not to say that, you know, these folks aren't radical or that they themselves actually don't want to organize more. Because I think if I'm not mistaken, I think some official from SEIU actually questioned the the new policy that would be in place to organize a million workers mm -hmm. over 10 years. And they were like, that's not enough. Sarah Nelson actually came out against it saying there has to be tens of millions of workers. And it, the major difference that I also noticed as well, tons of younger people at labor notes, tons of younger people. Um, of course there were people my age at AFL-CIO, 
convention, mm-hmm. but mainly and Adam, you've been pretty there. quiet, but you've been to a lot of union conventions and but this is your first labor notes. How how is you know how's what everybody's been saying here tracking with kind of your experience um, of union conventions in the past and then your experience with labor notes? Oh, definitely. Everything uh, Kim and Isaiah mentioned really resonates with me. And uh, much like Isaiah, the first time I ever left the South and rode on the airplane was for a union convention uh, when I was elected as a delegate for the National Education Association. And, you know, much like Isaiah's experience, I was one of the youngest people uh, at the convention, except for the kids (laughs) of the delegates. Um, And it was a, it, you know, that was definitely a learning experience for me. It was um, exciting to be able to participate democratically in in the, you know, direction of my union. Uh, but it didn't have the feel of labor notes. Labor notes, as y'all said, it felt like home, and that is particularly true. You know, having lived my whole life in Mississippi and Alabama. And now in a very conservative part of of North Alabama, um, feeling feeling like uh, not alone, uh, feeling like you do have sisters and brothers and siblings uh, surrounding you who who believe in something greater than themselves. And uh, that is a you know, it was a spiritual moment for me as much as anything. I I learned a lot from workshops. I, I enjoyed the speakers. Certainly the relationship building uh, was huge and just getting, you know, as y'all mentioned, getting to meet people that you've seen through screens, um, people that we've talked to on this radio show, people that I've, you know, read for years and actually got to, you know, put a face with the print. Uh, All those things were powerful, but it was really just the spiritual uh, connection there, I think, uh, because I think what we felt was the solidarity uh, that our movement ultimately is about and should be about. And, and we got to feel that in a real tangible way. And I think that if nothing else is going to really, I think it's going to lead to big, big things. Frankly, I think we're going to, we're going to look forward in a few years and pinpoint some things mm-hmm. that came out of this labor notes <laughs> conference. Um, it, you know, we'll see how you can actually quantify that. But I have no doubt that the 4,000 folks who attended gained something out of it. Their their skills have sharpened, their relationships have grown, and their energy has been boosted. And for me, that that was the biggest thing. I've had a rough couple of years, and my organizing has, uh, you know, had more downs than ups, frankly. You know, more defeats than than victories. Uh, to be surrounded by folks who who feel the way I do, who believe a better world is possible and actually are willing to fight for it. That is um, that's something that can't be replaced, you know, via Zoom and it can't be replicated um, in just your standard conventions that, that we've all been to. As important as they are, uh, they they have a lot of the issues that, that y'all described in terms of. Leadership that sometimes can be out of touch, uh, a lack of diversity that, you know, oftentimes the attendees of the more official conferences and workshops and, and certainly conventions don't always reflect the diversity of the membership uh, and certainly don't always reflect the diversity of the working class. Uh, 
And I was just blown away by the diversity up in Chicago at Labor Notes. Um, and for me, I walked away feeling confident that there is a revival of the labor movement in this country. And it's being pushed by folks who are younger, um, but who are learning from our elders and taking that wisdom from those who have been in the fight for a long time and hmm. frankly have seen mostly bad times over the past few decades. So, you know, I, there's a, there's a young cohort of militant rank and file activists and organizers who are really dedicated to growing their unions, building new unions uh, and reshaping our society. And yeah, I mean, how can I, you, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny that, a lot of times my analogies kind of go back to church because I'm not terribly religious anymore, but my, the probably the last time that I've been in a room of folks and felt so like unconditionally loved and, and cared for and affirmed was when I was, you know, more a part of the church and, and my parents' church. And that's something that my dad has said that that church does for him you know you were talking about the spiritual nature of, of the thing that that we went to um in, in my parents church hat they have services every wednesday night and he said it's 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 like a you know like a filling up his gas tank for the rest of the week you know <laughs> he gets a he gets a whole bunch of love on sunday mm-hmm. and then and then it kind of goes down and 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 he he gets a little pick me up on wednesday nights when he's around all these people that love him and um you know I, that's definitely how i felt at labor notes and and one of the things that i would really like to do is is figure out how we can turn our local meetings and 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 stuff like that into into something where even if everybody doesn't necessarily share the same politics or vision that we do, that we can engender the feeling of unconditional love and solidarity and like, you know, we're here for you. Um, Because I think that just just the spiritual nature of the thing, I think, is is super important and it's super helpful for people. You know, one thing that I've been thinking about as we've been chatting that also stood out uh, about labor knows that might be useful going forward hmm. is that nobody was in charge. There wasn't really a sense of hierarchy there. Like, of course, there were people who you respect for the work they put in or the you know position they've attained through helping their fellow workers. But there wasn't, you know, there weren't a lot of suits. There wasn't anyone telling you what to do. Everyone there was a volunteer or an organizer. It was very much a collective effort, mm-hmm. a massive collective effort. But you didn't have to ask permission to do anything. You didn't have to, you know, wait online to speak to someone or go through a publicist. Like it was very much just people connecting with people in a way that I think, you know, folks really value. Like you could go talk to Sarah Nelson if you saw her walking by and she'd be like, oh, hey, because you're on the same team. You're all on the same level. I think the, these it, it's very different from having to go through a line of security <laughs> to talk to someone who represents you ostensibly, right? Like, I think there's a lot of kind of rickety old hierarchical structures within the union movement that we could probably do with chiseling away at because we are all equal, right? No, no, no animals is more equal than any other animal. And I think that maybe that's, that's a lesson that labor notes hopefully uh, made clear too. you know, we're nobody's better than anybody else. 
Absolutely. I mean, and that's something that I, I know I, I say a lot on this show because it's really my guiding principle, which is I'm not better than anybody else <laughs> and ain't nobody better than me. And right. that's, you know, that's kind of my politics in the nutshell. And that was the energy of labor notes um, that we're all in it together. And the, you know, a couple of more of the, the things that really stood out to me there's a couple quotes that are jotted down throughout the weekend. One was that we have to get more comfortable being uncomfortable. And that really resonated. Um, and, you know, it's something that I think all of us in the movement can embrace uh, that we have to have difficult conversations. Sometimes we have to be able to work across differences and we have to be able to learn uh, and not stop learning. You know, I know where my blind spots, where my blind spots are. I know uh, the way I was raised versus the way I believe now um, and, and the journey that that is and, and will continue to be. And, you know, Stacey Davis Gates from the Chicago Teachers Union, she gave a hell of a speech you know, at the main session Friday night. And one of the things she mentioned was that we have to save this country from itself. And that really, you know, hits home even harder now than it did when she said it uh, in light of recent news. So I think that one of the other things that stood out uh, is of course that we have to respond to bigotry with solidarity. Yeah. And, you know, I think all of those, those are all kind of along a common thread there uh, of trying to build a movement that really reflects the working class and that can transcend some of these divisions, some of which are real and some of which are just artificial. Um, but we don't really have a choice. We have to do that. Uh, considering the scale of the crisis we're facing as a country and as a world, we have no choice but to be able to build that diverse movement. And that's how we can make things better. And I'm just grateful that there are at least 4,000 uh, <laughs> sisters and brothers who really feel the same way and believe that, yeah, we can make it better. We have to make it better. Uh, and there are ways that we can do that by building relationships uh, centered around love and justice and solidarity and fighting for that in our workplace and in our broader community. I'd say another thing that I definitely loved about Labor mm. Notes was the international solidarity. Oh, I yeah. With some workers from Germany, Chile, Poland, France, mm -hmm. and even mm. Denmark. And after speaking with them, especially with the Danish workers, one of them went back to their room and cried because they thought that we lived in a third world country. <laughs> because I was explaining to them how the labor laws are set up in this country the things that we go through as workers and they just couldn't believe it. And I was speaking with the Polish worker and she said that they went on a solidarity strike with the German workers who went on strike because they were, mm. the German workers were like, we're not getting paid enough. And they went on strike and the Polish workers went on strike just in solidarity with them. And there's a lesson that we can learn here in the United States. And the amount of love I felt from them, it, I've never felt anything like that before. I mean, it was, it felt like there was, we're not alone in the United States, but everyone else around the world is looking at us and is watching us and it actually wants to help us out. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because it was, that was one of the most fantastic things was to be able to meet people from such different kinds of environments and, you know, talking with a brother from Canada about Alberta and how Alberta is like the Alabama of Canada and, you know, making those connections um, and some of our shared struggles and, and some of the things that are unique because uh, Alabama certainly is a unique place. Uh, even even in the context of the United States. So I Something. do what? All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, for some sure. things are universal. And Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you know, just just to wrap <laughs> up, I guess. Um, what are you know? Uh, Adam was talking about some of the things that that he he was taking away. What are I'm interested in, um, you know, Kim and Isaiah, what are the things that that y'all are are kind of most excited to take back to your organizing at home or Kim, your reporting um, and, you know, just what are the things that you're most excited to take back from the conference? I'll let Isaiah go first while I chew on that. Mm. The strategies of workplace actions, walking off our stations and going to deliver a petition and seeing real results that will actually bring about some kind of class consciousness within my coworkers. I can't wait for that, especially <laughs> making HR and upper management tremble at their offices. I mean, I just can't, it's going to be amazing. Oh yeah. And the, the second thing that I'll definitely bring back is just like the love and solidarity that I felt there to tell people that, Hey, there are folks in other States and other countries who care about you and want you to do better and have better. And we mm. can have better. We just have to come together and form our union and win. Mm-hmm. I just love seeing, I feel like I'm going to keep that program and go through it every time. I'm like, huh, what should mm. I write about? Oh, here's hundreds of possible stories and people and campaigns I could dig into. I loved the, mm. just the sheer, scope of people like let people that were there just in their own capacity but people on panels people who spoke people who wanted to tell other people about what they're working on they just showed how endlessly rich our stories are as workers as working class people like i could write a million more books just by mm-hmm. talking to every other yeah. person who passed by me at labor notes that weekend and that's something that is just so it's just so exciting to see so many people who care and realize that, oh, this, I'm part of this too. I have a role to play too, because sometimes it's easy to feel lonely or disconnected or lost when you're trying to make the world better, but don't, but you're just one little, little human, but seeing how many other, uh, how many more of us there are and knowing that lifting up one another's efforts and stories and identities and experiences is the way we win. Like, it just feels really good and it feels really it feels like I've got my marching orders. Yeah, so yeah, you, you mentioned the, the diversity of, of the, the types of people and, and it's almost like uh, workers are the people that make everything in the world run, um, something like that. So <laughs> All right, well, uh, everybody, I appreciate it uh, despite the, um, you know, the, the time confusions. Uh, appreciate everybody be- making it on uh, such short notice and and uh, uh, yeah, so uh, really appreciate y'all's time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. Solidarity. Thanks, y'all. All right. Love you, boys. Y'all take care.
Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. We'll be right back. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Iron Workers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. 
We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Alabama's only union talk radio show, you're listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call. The phone line is open. Or you can text us. The number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. <clears throat> so, there's a lot going on in the world, and... You might be wondering how we can respond to it. Adam, talk to us a bit about what some of your advice is. Sure. I, you know, it's been a little while since we talked about uh, going back to the basics. If you are a person who is upset at the state of the world, what can you do? So I wanted to just share some thoughts, take a moment of personal privilege to, to address that. And when we look at the conditions in which we're living – you don't need me to tell you that we face crisis upon crisis upon crisis. It's easy to look at these conditions and follow the news and feel discouraged, depressed, angry, anxious, or alienated. The forces of exploitation and oppression are counting on us being paralyzed by these feelings. To borrow from Jesse Jackson, they win by the margin of our despair by the margin of the fracture of our coalition. So never forget that there are people in this world, in this country, in this state, and in your community who believe we can and must do better. Perhaps the most profound lesson of American history is that change comes from the bottom up, and we the people have had to organize and fight for every inch of progress. And not only do everyday working people have to fight to move us forward, we have always had to fight to keep from moving backwards. The forces of exploitation and oppression will always have more money, more force, more structural power. The counter that we have is people power. We have to look back at the movements of the 60s, the 30s, the turn of the century, and examine the ways they built and exercised people power. The challenge now and for the future is to build an organized, diverse working-class movement of our own that can grow and use the people power necessary for a better world. So what can you do and how? The most simple answer is we do something together. Everyone listening right now has something to contribute to the movement, whether it's your time, your energy, your skills, or your donations. But do it collectively. If you're listening... I bet you have at least one person in your life who at least has the potential to be a comrade in the struggle. Someone you will fight for, someone who will fight for you, 
and someone who will join you in fighting for folks y'all don't even know. Now, on this show, we believe the labor movement is the key component. So we encourage everyone to get involved in organizing at the workplace, strengthening and reforming your unions, and of course, establishing new unions. Make that list of your coworkers and start having one-on-one conversations. But we can't stop there. We have to keep going. Maybe you're interested in mutual aid. Maybe you're interested in electoral campaigns and get out the vote efforts. Maybe you're interested in policy reform and advocacy. Maybe you're interested in popular education and training. Maybe you're interested in protests and other forms of direct action. Or maybe you're interested in community and issue-based organizing. I'm not going to tell you where or how you should do something. Just that you should do it and do it together with others. Because there are good people doing good work on all of those fronts, and they all need more help. With that in mind, I wanted to share some ideas on where to get started. If you are a worker and not a boss, you can join the IWW, Industrial Workers of the World. That's an easy way to get involved in the labor movement, regardless of whether unions exist in your area or industry. DSA in North Alabama is trying to establish a chapter here and could use some folks. And the Birmingham DSA chapter has been doing some really good work punching above their weight. United Women of Color and the Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform are doing important work on criminal justice issues here in Huntsville. The Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance is a network of local activists and organizers. And in fact, they actually have a meeting coming up Wednesday night at 530 at the downtown Huntsville Library, if you want to put that on your calendar. Hometown Action, Friends of the Show. They are organizing at the state and local level across Alabama with an emphasis on rural communities. The Huntsville Bail Fund is a critical resource for our local activist movement, uh, particularly considering the riot police that we have to deal with here in Huntsville. NASO, the North Alabama School for Organizers, offers local training and conducts mutual aid. And then there are some nonprofits in Alabama that are doing some really important work that could always use volunteers and, of course, donations. Personally, I'm a proud member of Alabama Arise, which does a variety of advocacy and policy work, particularly around poverty. Alabama Coalition for Immigrant Justice and the Adelante Worker Center are doing important work. There's our legal friends at Alabama Appleseed. There's Energy Alabama and GASP doing important environmental work. And these were just some of the ones off the top of my head. I know that I'm leaving some out, and I'm sure there are plenty more. Find organizations you can support. Find activities you can get involved in. Find strike funds and causes you can donate to. And most importantly, grow your network of comrades. A better world is possible, but only when we come together and organize a movement that can fight for it. Back to you, Jacob. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah, that's – I definitely want to second all of that. It's so important to understand that politics is not consumption, is not, you know, entertainment. It's not who your favorite, you know, Twitch streamer is or debate bro or whatever. Um, it's not even your favorite politician uh, – 
politics properly understood is what you're doing in your community to make it better, uh, to make your life better, to make the life of your sisters and brothers on the job and in the community better. Um, that's what politics is. And you can be as pure as you want as far as understanding, you know, Rawlsian or Marxist theory. Um, but having ideas in your head isn't enough. You've got to go and do something. Um, faith without works is dead. So <laughs> go out Amen. and do some works. Amen. Um, as we're as we're wrapping up here on the radio, uh, I do have a really a, a pretty good announcement here, um, which is that uh, do you uh, remember our conversation with Daniel Horowitz from AFGE about the plan to privatize and close Veterans Affairs Healthcare Centers? Yes, that was the result of legislation pushed by Republicans and signed into law under Trump that would immediately close dozens of VA hospitals and cut service for veterans in hospitals that remained open. Well, a critical point, a necessary stop in the path to doing this is the forming of the VA Asset Asset and Infrastructure Review Commission, a closure commission, basically. And the Senate has, on a bipartisan basis, decided to block it to keep this from going through. So veterans across the country are going to have the opportunity, going to continue to have the opportunity to access high quality, specialized care from the VA that they simply cannot get from the private sector. The pre president of AFGE reacted with this in his statement. Today's announcement by the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee is a major victory for veterans, military families, the American health care system, VA employees, and all those who rely on the VA, said AFGE national president, U.S. Army veteran, and Alabama native Everett Kelly. <clears throat> this closure commission was a bad idea from the start. Automatic mass closures of VA facilities would deny veterans the comprehensive quality care that our nation owes to those who have defended our country, an obligation that was first recognized by President Abraham Lincoln. So really good news uh, from the U.S. Senate, which is not a common thing. But, no, it's uh, <laughs> not. So that's, that's great to get yes. an update on that story that ends well. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Really happy to hear that. So, um, so yeah, yeah, that, and, and that's going to be it for today's show. Um, if you could add one to it, though, David said to Adam's list of organizations, please support the Yellowhammer Fund. Reproductive justice is under attack in Alabama, and we need to support them. Uh, that Absolutely. would be a good suggestion, but the Yellowhammer Fund has announced that they are temporarily closing uh, because of the new law to seek guidance from legal experts um, about the path forward. So, Yeah, I had seen that, and I need to do some more research myself on where to support reproductive justice in Alabama. I know Powerhouse in Montgomery has also, yes. also been a great uh, resource, but again, I'm Bur not sure of their status at the moment. Check with Birmingham DSA. Follow them on Twitter, at DSA. They are going to be doing a lot of row response work in the coming future. Um, and we'll keep you updated on the status of the Yellowhammer Fund. Hopefully they come back um, with some paths forward. Um, so, so, but, but we'll definitely keep everybody updated on that. And as we are ramping here on the radio, uh, just a reminder, the Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance has a meeting on Wednesday, July 6th at 530 at the main downtown Huntsville, Madison County Library. Um, they haven't met for a while. 
If, yeah, so that's good to see so, them back in action. Good to see them back in action. Alabama Arise has a town hall has town halls starting on Tuesday, July twelfth at six p.m. The Working People Bonus episode with me, McKenna Schuler, to Vita about labor notes is out. You can leave us a voicemail at eight four four yeah eight four four eight nine nine TVLR, and you can support the show at our website TVLR.fm. Find us online right now, where we are going to talk about Max's recent appearance on the Hill about benefits for undocumented immigrants. We're going to be talking to Stephen Greenhouse, former labor reporter. For the New York Times, all power to the workers. You'll find overtime in your podcast feed on Thursday.